Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode of the House of Mystery is brought to you by Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. LegacyFoodStorage.com Five persons, including actress Sharon Tate, were found dead at the home of Miss Tate and her husband, screen director Roman Polyansky. The whole thing is very, Tate, very mysterious, but this is what I know. Authorities say a menacing letter received yesterday by a Vallejo newspaper was not sent by the infamous Zodiac Killer. That's again where it has That Area 51, the secret Air Force base in Nevada, actually exists. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. He's been called the East Side Rapist. He's been called the Visalia Ransacker. The original Night Stalker. And the Golden State Killer. You have now entered into the house of mystery. The best in true crime, conspiracy, and alternative history. With Al Warren of KCAA, the stations that leave no listener behind. Broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. The trifecta of talk radio for Southern California. Oh, welcome back into the House Mystery on KKNW 1150 AM Seattle and KCAA 106.5 FM Los Angeles. I'm Al Warren. And joining me today is Zodiac Man... Michael Butterfield. Hi, Al. <laughs> How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. Been really busy. Um, got. Uh, I've been writing those uh, part uh, part of that British series on crimes. Um, uh, written four books for them, four of them, and two of them out now. Um, both doing really well, actually, and uh, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the the British have their own peculiar brand of true crime, so it's sometimes it's a lot more interesting. Certainly, a complex, uh, much more than you think. And you know, it, it was Stephen Port, the Grinder serial killer, which which is surprising. And then uh, the the Moore's murders, of course, which uh, mm-hmm. Ian Brady and um, Myra Hindley. And what I did with with both of those um, is I have letters from both of them in prison. So right up until the death of, of, of Brady. And, uh, so it was pretty recent. Yeah. Right. Just a two seven two seventeen, And even, uh, Stephen Port, the grinder killer, I have him right up to, uh, last year. So, um, it, it sure gives you an inside look of, of the type of people that do these things. Mm. Uh, which is quite, you know, it's something we miss in a lot of the American uh, killers, um, more so, I think. And I think that's something that people want. Well, and I think it's whoever uh, that guy had in charge of his marketing and publicity, the Grinder Killer is a great name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's just perfect. 
Yeah, you know, and it's uh, well. In that that case was sad because um, the cops let the bodies pile up, mm-hmm. and they just wrote them all off as overdoses. Yeah, and and they didn't do anything about it. So there's still yeah, and there's a big report coming out in in April here about that. Seventeen officers are in trouble, and they reopening fifty eight of the uh, bodies they found in that uh, year and a half period. So just I mean the overdoses going on right now in society is crazy. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 58? Yeah, because from the first body that they found, see, because he would, he would uh, spike their drink with GHB, and they'd pass out, and then he would shoot up uh, in their arm from a needle something uh, to kill them. Like, uh, it would be another drug. He was really big on shooting them up with uh, uh, amyl nitrate, you know, for the heart patients. They sh- he'd shoot oh, it up God. in their arm. Jeez. And uh, and different drugs. And they and he would kill them and have sex with them. And then he'd throw their body out in the park. And um, during that year and a half, there was uh, 58 overdoses in this park in in London. Oh, my God. That now That's... they have to go back and look to see if he was involved with any of them. Because uh, the five that they did figure out that he was involved with had all been put in with the overdoses. And they weren't. Well, it's part of the, I guess, the smart serial killer MO to pick victims who are unlikely to be missed or properly investigated. But mm-hmm. you would think that 58 bodies in a park would. Uh, but I guess that was the whole thing is because they're used to finding that in London. I guess people are overdosing that often. You know, I guess the opioids are big in the States and over there they have heroin and, and other things that they're doing and, and people are just overdosing and. I just I just found that really crazy, um, you know. Well, it's frightening that you could be doing something that be that prolific and not be noticed because of some other problem that's so bad. Well, that was the worst thing too. In that in that case too, they um, when they um, it, you know on the uh, what was it the second second and third bodies that um, he was involved with. Um, uh, on on the third one, there was a suicide note, and in the suicide note, it mentioned that he was overdosing. He was killing himself uh, by overdosing because um, him and another guy were um, having sex one night and doing drugs, and this other guy overdosed, and he felt really guilty, and he mentioned the other guy's name, and they had found that guy's body in the park three weeks before. <laughs> So, but the the grinder guy wrote the letter. Right? Yeah, and in fact, he even so put by the way, him. like P.S. Don't 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 worry about the guy that you saw me with last night. He has nothing to do with this. <laughs> and you know what they did? They just ruled it um, overdose, and they didn't they even investigate. Yeah. And, wow. And it just kept on happening. So it was just you know, and and uh, I find it very interesting, and I think that. Um, you were talking. We were talking before about the Morris murders and about how Ian Brady is uh, does so much analysis on other serial killers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was looking at his book, The Gates of Janus: Serial Killing and Its Analysis, and I have to say, I was rather stunned. Yeah. By the content. Well, in the letters, and the one of the letters I have of him, and I put this one in the book. It was funny. It's uh, he goes. Uh, He's talking about how profilers and psychologists don't have a clue. And he said how um, they like to say that uh, serial killers love to to kill small animals mm-hmm. and fires and do all this. And he said that couldn't be anything. It couldn't be further from the truth. That's the famous triad that they wetting the bed, killing animals. Yeah. And- yeah. And he was making fun of all that through all the all the letters and about how they don't have a clue. Um, he loved dogs and he, he never did any of the things that they would think that a serial killer, he's a most don't. It's very And he few. was an arsonist and yeah. And so you have to, you have to wonder and, and so many people getting involved in crime now. Um, and that case too bothered me because, you know, when you go through all the different, um, shows about it and documentaries, they don't talk about the real, the real thing that was going on. 
they mm-hmm. they hide it from people. They just so well they killed a couple of people and murdered and put them away, and it doesn't really get into it. Even some of the books I searched before I wrote that. And for your listeners, what is the real thing? Well, I mean, as in as in like, um, uh, first of all, um, they they would go out hunting for for children. Yeah, and um, they would Myra, the girl, the, the the girlfriend. They would send he would send her. So they they wanted to get a, a child, and they knew that she would um, be able to get some a kid to get into her car. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a nice woman would offer something, and the thing is, um, they would uh, attack the child. But what they were doing is they were getting men for him like boys, he would rape and kill them. And then they they took a couple of girls. She would rape and kill the girls. Mm-hmm. But, to see, they kept all of that from mo- all the documentaries. All they said was that they, uh, they, they killed these five kids or whatever it was at the end, and mm-hmm. they didn't get into any of that stuff. And, and they didn't get into how they were really both... Um, uh, homosexual in their own ways. And in fact, you know, Myra Hindley ended up having an affair with a female guard in prison. <laughs> and the female guard tried to break her out. Jeez. And that female guard got put away for six years for doing this. Um, the, 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 there's, there's just so many things. For some reason, um, in the 60s, they wanted to keep the gay thing out of the whole crime. Yeah. And I can't figure that out. I, I well, that has something to do with the way that the the British and the Americans look at these things. You know, we we uh, get really squirrely about the sex stuff here, uh, and but we still like to. It's okay to merge them with sex and violence, but over there, they they like to keep their sex and violence separated. <laughs> yeah, be more proper about it. Yeah, I guess, and maybe you know, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, it still baffles me the real reasoning of why they were keeping it secret. And yet it was it was it's so available in the court records and the documents everything that they did, and it's a central component to what they it, did. It really is because uh, it's almost like well, you know, if you're going to tell the truth, tell it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I have to wonder where it's going because, you know, of course our concept today is zodiac, but we look at um, all of the shows that they're doing on zodiac, and everybody's. Like it seems to be the accusing, like um, like Hewitt's book <laughs> about the Unabomber really being Zodiac, and then you have mm-hmm. Steve Hodell, and you know the mm-hmm. his what is it great grandfather or something that killed the Black Dahlia, it, yeah, and that's yeah. Zodiac. His father killed Dahlia and was the Chicago lipstick killer and the Los Angeles werewolf killer. And I'm pretty sure he's going to claim that his dad took the Lindbergh baby too. Yeah. And you know what? But the thing is, it's the same as, but he's, he's making the circuit right now. He's on every daytime and talk show going right now. He He's on Dr. Oz next week, Dr. Phil. He was just on all the good morning Americas and they're all giving him airtime. Well, he has that series out right now about his, yeah, in their background, I can't remember the name of it. it has some something to do with the night. I can't remember the title. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's all the rage, and these people get platforms for their accusations when there's really not much substance to them to begin with. Yeah, and it's the same as you know Edward Wayne Edwards and and <laughs> and 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 that cornball. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> he's been on the show, Cameron, a couple of times, and it's like, come on, like uh, he's Zodiac now too. <laughs> and and Gary Stewart and it's the same thing how can all of these but you know the thing is that seems to be what's getting like Paramount made an Edward Wayne Edwards series a four part series yeah, yeah and, and Gary Stewart like all these people are, are getting shows and getting huge PR on all the mainstream shows with series that it's their relative well, it's it's the daddy did it syndrome. Um, people who claim their father was the zodiac, and I think there's something, I don't know. I, it's some people seem to be more attracted to that kind of stuff than someone who accuses a stranger, because the idea that you know you had some dark secret in your family is probably a much more entertaining 
than the notion that, well, I think it's some guy that I never met, you know. But it's also interesting, as you were saying, that there's this trend now and that everything is becoming true crime now. I mean, the Zodiac was on Dr. Oz this week um, about talking about the monster, the Zodiac Killer podcast. And I have to admit, it was pretty strange when somebody called me up and said, did you see you were on Dr. Oz today? (laughs) And I watched the clip and they were playing a clip of the podcast with me talking on there. And Dr. Oz is usually a show about, you know, you know, how to deal with your medical problems and things like that. But now because he's a doctor, they're going for the forensic route and turning that into true crime and true crime is popping up everywhere. And when, when I was a kid, and I was interested in true crime, people thought you were weird. And now it's almost that they think you're weird if you're not interested in true crime. The things have switched uh, 180 degrees now to the point where true crime is mainstream. And I think there's a good part of that in the sense that, yeah, a lot of cases that, because they need material all the time, a lot of cases that don't get a lot of attention might get some you know, coverage on a podcast or a television show. But at the same time, because they have to have constant supply of content, a lot of bad stuff gets through. And that's why you see a lot of these shows about people who are claiming to have solved the case and yet don't really have any credible evidence to support that claim in the first place. Yeah. And that's the biggest problem I have with it. It's, it's, you can really name anybody in your family and, or anybody, you know, and, mm-hmm. but, but without evidence, and you'll be on a four-part series. Well, I've often thought that if I wrote a book accusing Kermit the Frog, I could probably get a publisher in a TV show pretty quick. Yeah, and you'll be on Alex Jones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the the globalist, you know, uh, antichrist, you know, Kermit the Frog. Well, there's that, there is that huge, you know, ridiculous conspiracy theory about the Zodiac, besides the the silly conspiracy theories about satanic cults or the Manson family and stuff like that. There's now the, you know, the theory that the Zodiac crimes were actually a hoax that were perpetrated by reporters or policemen or whatever to cover up the, um, uh, uh, child sex ring that Hillary Clinton was running out of a pizza restaurant in San Francisco. And all, you know, all of it's, it's amazing how these conspiracy theories have all become lumped into one thing now. But normally, yeah, you wouldn't be able to get that kind of material on the air. But, you know, it's all over the Internet. And it's probably only a matter of time before there's some series about that. And and unfortunately, that is the way things are. It's it's you know, you get you know, there's a lot of interest in true crime, but there's a lot of it that I don't think is um, reputable or or ethical. Yeah, it's just it's too um it's just all about uh, it's just salacious, right? It's just about something you can sell um because none of these stories are credible i mean there's no evidence no and i I don't think a lot of the media would know what to do with someone who had credible evidence because that isn't how they judge material it's whether or not it's sensational or salacious and people will be attracted to it or it's entertaining Um, if someone comes forward now with some solid evidence against someone it's probably not going to be uh as entertaining as the more salacious stories, because it's going to be very factual and someone's going to be, you know, basing things on evidence. And most of the time that evidence probably isn't going to be something that's a, a slam dunk, obvious thing. It's going to require some interpretation, some intellectual examination. And that's not the way things are done. Oh, it's too boring. <laughs> yeah, it's too boring because I just like most of these shows are just, it's just cornball stuff. And, um, I, you know, I just I can't I can't get behind any of these, and I know most of these people. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so it's kind of depressing because I was telling you before we started the show about how you know every time someone contacts me saying we're doing a new Zodiac show, you always assume the worst right off the bat because that's the way things are. That's the way we've kind of been trained to expect things. But you know, every once in a while, it is refreshing when somebody sticks to their word and does what they say they're going to do when they do the, the actual research and try to make sure that the show's factual. And, you know, you can be entertaining and factual at the same time, but that isn't the course that most people take. Um, and then, you know, 
I think I was telling you, I, I did a, an interview recently for a show that's coming up on HLN called Very Scary People. Um, that, that show would include the host. <laughs> <laughs> it's that the host is Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, they did not mention that to us when we were doing the interviews. And I guess it's because he was in the movie Saw, which is about, you know, a crazy serial killer and stuff. Um, but you know, when they, when we did the interviews for that, it was, uh, flew out to San Francisco and get up at 7 a.m. and do a three hour interview. And, um, you know, you're, you're, you're hoping that all the stuff that you're going to say is somehow going to make it into the show. But you know, if you're doing a three hour interview for a show that's going to be 90 minutes long, that at least, uh, <laughs> you know, two hours or so is not going to make it in there. But it's nerve wracking sometimes. And I remember doing that. I, I couldn't sleep the night before in the hotel because it was one of those hotels where the uh, air conditioning and everything was silent. And I'm one of those people that has to have a fan, you know, or <laughs> you need the noise. Yeah. And I couldn't sleep before that. And then I had to get up and do the interview. And, you know, even though I know that a lot of these shows aren't that they're more entertainment than than information. Um, I still try to do my best and, and, and it's really difficult sometimes, especially in that situation. I remember, you know, after about two and a half hours of the interview, I was starting to fade a little bit and, uh, they asked me a question. They said, um, so what is it that links all of these Zodiac crimes together? And I sat there with this dumbfounded expression on my face. I was like, well, um, uh, uh, <laughs> And I had already written a thing discussing all this, but I just couldn't remember any of it while we were talking. And, you know, you, you finish the interview and you go home and then it's months and months later when the thing finally airs. And more often than not, you know, the things that you're worried about aren't that big of a deal or, or anything, but you're still trying to, you know, be factual and stuff. And I was really embarrassed by that because they asked me a direct and simple question and I, I couldn't seem to muster the answer. Now, of course, you know, I had plenty of answers when I was in the elevator after the interview. But, <laughs> um, but you know, when, when the show comes out, I wonder if they're going to use that or not. Um, it certainly would make me look foolish if that's their point. But, you know, I, I think, you know, you do these interviews and, and a lot of podcasts and things, and you're aware that it's entertaining. But at the same time, you, you know, there's other people out there who want to hear a really good story and want to hear some facts. So you're trying to make sure that you get that in there as well. And, um, well, I think we're one of the few fact finders. Uh, our show has stayed to uh, having people on that uh, present something, and, and that's what we talk about. We don't create a scenario or a script. Most mm -hmm. of the podcasts out there are storytellers, and they create a script based on a certain amount of material that they get, but it's not really – it's secondhand. You know, they get material mm -hmm. that's secondhand. I know I supply a lot of books for it, and uh, yeah. and I don't – you know, I'd rather talk to the person direct. If if, if Gary Stewart's going to say it's someone in his family that's done something, I'll have him on the show and he can tell us. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't get it from. So I think we're one of the few that are still doing it. There's not too many out there now. Most of them just create a story, and that's I guess that's what listeners want. So they want to be entertained. Well, I've I've been pleasantly surprised by the monster podcast that i worked on that it's it's turned out to be a pretty good show with pretty factual presentation some diversions into material that maybe not everyone would find as interesting but yeah you 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 want to go straight to the source in most instances and i think that that show has done a good job of interviewing people who are actually involved in the case but i've listened to other podcasts where you know, it's I understand that I'm not directly involved in the case. So someone might listen to that and wonder why I'm talking throughout the show. But I think that there are a lot of shows out there that are kind of disconnected from the actual material. And they, like you say, they are kind of just regurgitations of other people's work. Yeah. And, well, yeah. I mean, that's where I saw all they can get as for material, you know. Um, but, yeah, anyway, it's kind of kind of a past thing you know and um i don't know um and so how have you been getting a lot of questions since the last show on different things that people what are yeah that's a good one what are people still asking about well i think that the we did a, a show for your 
listeners uh, several months ago about the DNA work that was being done on the Zodiac case. And because of the recent arrest of the Golden State Killer in California um, through DNA, I think it's raised a lot of expectations. So a lot of the questions now are dealing with DNA issues and whether or not DNA uh, has actually been found that can be used in forensic genealogy to help identify the killer. And then I think maybe it's part of the optimism surrounding that DNA stuff where a lot of the questions that I'm being asked now are, are questions about the end game. You know, what, what will happen if the Zodiac is identified? Um, I think when we did our show about DNA was right after the Golden State Killer had been arrested. So there was a lot of hope, a lot of optimism that DNA and forensic genealogy could be used the same way to capture the Zodiac. And there was a lot of reporting about that at that time. And I think it raised a lot of expectations. Um, uh, it's been some time now, and there has been no news on that DNA, although we know that the Vallejo Police Department submitted two of the at least two of the original zodiac letters for dna analysis we just don't know what has happened with that now it's possible that they did find some dna and that it was sufficient for use in forensic genealogy and that they have been working on that and of course they're not going to discuss that with us until they have something solid to present um, i'd like to believe that that's what's going on but we also have to be aware that there are other possibilities. The other possibility is that um, they did find some DNA, but it's not sufficient, that there's not enough of it to be used in forensic genealogy. And they might be attempting to get more DNA from other letters uh, to help in that regard. And then it's also possible that they were not able to find any usable DNA and that that avenue of investigation is just not plausible at this time. So you know, the, the police are not under any obligation to inform the public about the progress of these kinds of investigations. And so it's not likely that the police are going to make an announcement unless they have something solid to report. So we're kind of left hanging, wondering what's going on. And because of that, there's a lot of speculation out there. And the questions that I get asked are, you know, when are we going to hear about the DNA? Has anything happened with it? Will anything happen with it? Will they ever tell us? And the simple fact is, is that the honest answers to most of those questions are, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on. Um, I know that Vallejo police have indicated that there has not been any progress on the DNA testing. And there's been some reports that some of the delay may be uh, involved, may have something to do with their budget and their lack of funds at this time. Um, but I try to be optimistic. I'd like to think that the investigators are doing whatever can be done and that there is DNA available on any of those suspected Zodiac communications, that they will be doing whatever is necessary and possible to track that down and do as much work as they can. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you just have to sit and wait. The, um, Oh, speaking of TV, I was on oxygen. Did you see that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't get oxygen. So I had to track that down elsewhere, but, uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, nice to see you on TV. No, I look terrible. <laughs> I look terrible. I look so old. How do you old. think that about themselves when they're... I look so old. Chicken neck. <laughs> I'll tell you. I, I, I'm disappointed. And I, that was that was three days with them, too, you know. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, they used bits and pieces throughout the whole show. But, yeah, so they, you know, you spend a lot of hours doing that, and they only use bits and pieces. Now, did they make you wear the same shirt every day so you look the same on the screen? Yeah, and in fact, they chose that shirt. That's not what I would wear. <laughs> that was ter I'm serious. That was the no, most. I, I know. I know. When freaky. I still up the interviews, I bring a couple of different shirts. I did. They turned and them all down. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Really? Yeah, they said, you know, it's funny because the producer said, uh, no black, no white, and no wild patterns. And uh, so I brought just blue shirts, um, mm-hmm. polo shirts, just basic, n- nothing weird going on. And they turned them down, all three of them. Didn't make the cut, huh? No, and then they uh, that, that, <laughs> they put me in that pajama top thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that looked, I thought it looked terrible. It was all wrinkled. And, and it wasn't it kind of white? No, it was a checkered. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. It was checkered. It was terrible. Just not good for TV. Yeah. No, I just I couldn't believe that. But uh, they wanted me to look like a lumberjack or something. <laughs> <laughs> rugged, rugged lumberjack doing it. But so, how did you feel about the final product, though? Oh, I, I take it or leave it. Isn't that terrible? No, I think it was okay. It's it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Um, again, you know, you can only fit so much into an hour show yeah and uh they had a couple of good cops a couple that i interviewed when i did the book on the killing game so uh, they did get some good sources now that was about the rodney alcala alcala yeah alcala yeah yeah and he was the game show killer or the The dating dating game killer depends on Mm -hmm. who you talk to but he uh yeah so they did have um but they, they you know they left so much out Oh, yeah. And and even, you know, in, in my first day recording with them, they wanted to know all about the history, you know. Mm-hmm. And because he was such a good kid, they just cut it all out. <laughs> <laughs> Which, didn't fit the narrative of... Well, yeah, because it didn't make him sound bad or evil. Or there was nothing, you know, he was a good kid, good marks, had good jobs, um, joined the army. Like, he did all the good things that you would never expect, you know, and people yeah. liked him and he had girlfriends and and he was an okay looking person. Like everything was good. So they were like, Well, we can't really use that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. But I, I get it, you know. Now he's the guy who they found all those pictures of potential victims that they asked help from the public in identifying, is that right? Yeah, yeah. They because he had a locker in Seattle. And uh, when they went to the locker, they found uh, earrings that belonged to one of the victims, which helped prosecute him down the road. And they found a lot of other pieces of jewelry and things that belonged to probably victims. And then they found well over uh, 1,100 pictures. And they, they, they narrowed down to just over 200 people that they couldn't identify in these pictures. And they were both male and female. 
mainly female, and there mm-hmm. most of them were um, naked or half naked, and most of them were in uh, posed in positions uh, while he took the pictures, and a lot of them were very erotic or sensual type poses. Mm-hmm. And so now they're looking for those people um, to see if they survived, basically. 200. Yeah. And they have 120 of them. They've, they've eliminated over 80 of them. There's still 120 on the website. And actually, there's a book coming out uh, from the same publisher, I believe, in April, like next month. Uh, I believe her name's Bell. And she's worked 10 years on nothing but the victims and the pictures that they found. Wow. So she, she'll have a better detail of it. Uh, we'll have her on the show. Um, but it, it, she'll have more details of, of having, but it, you know, the thing is, uh, he's been hitting, you know, hitting positive DNA hits, um, in, you know, Nevada and in, uh, Idaho and, in uh, tons of States. Like he's popping up four or five a year now. <laughs> so what do you think is the, a reasonable estimate of how many victims he had? Well, you know, if he was doing that for um, a good uh, 10, 12 years, um, I'd say 100, 120. Jeez. He might not have killed them all, but that he attacked or had sex with or that was involved with him, I'd say that's pretty pretty reasonable guessing uh, for that many years. Yeah. and because we know, I mean, now you t- they found two in New York that he killed. And uh, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. It's going to be between 50 and 100 for sure. That's just insane. And, that you know, it brings up a good point of what we were talking about earlier, which is the arrest of someone doesn't know. It's not the end of the story. No. <laughs> it's, no. That's a, a whole new beginning. You know, there's a whole... Um, problem in the true crime business with you know someone writes a book about something and then that that book is finite and it's over and but the story keeps going on and so even in the ian brady case you were talking about it sounds like you know a lot of the stuff that is important to know is stuff that went on afterwards especially you're talking about the the guard that wanted to break her out and stuff like that and (laughs) um, and then in the grinder case you were talking about how um, I don't know if there's been a, a, another book written about it besides the one you were discussing, but it's very uh, um, troubling the yeah. way that you're saying there's 17 policemen who are being investigated for wrongdoing, like for not properly investigating. Or Yeah, actually, Scotland Yard had already uh, disciplined them all, and then they um, ha- are, have been doing a, an internal investigation, and it comes out in April. And they expect a lot of things to to come down on this because um, this is an ongoing pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, like some of the families, of course, are are jumping on the uh, it's because they are homosexuals. Yeah. And 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 I don't know. I, I I'm not going to jump on that. I'm going to just say that you know again the best case scenario was they just didn't do a very good job. They were lazy or something like that. And the worst case scenario would be because of the sexual orientation i don't know uh, it could also be because they were in a poor neighborhood it could also be th- that they were overwhelmed and they couldn't handle that many bodies and the overdoses and they're just throwing them all in there i, I you know well, I, I don't want to make that kind of judgment but it but, sounds like no matter what that you're going to have to go back and at least write another chapter or a whole nother book <laughs> yeah that one will become another full book but you know the thing is I, I really only, I started it because it hadn't really been written about in a book before. And I think that um, someone else will have to come along years down the road and, and really kind of do a more of a complete version after they do a lot of DNA testing and a lot of research. Um, the because, rest of the story. Yeah. And, but at least they have that now. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have that back then. So, you know, the thing is, he was... Um, he was setting up parties on Grinder, and that's a very big thing in 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 the London. Mm-hmm. And you'd go to these parties, and they were and he'd supply the drugs, and, and they were sex parties. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, party and play, they call it, or chemsex. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was he was involved in this heavily. And so uh, how many contacts he made and how many people he's actually was involved with, who knows? Yeah, because that's not a community that's going to come forward and uh, admit involvement with that kind of thing all no. the time. And plus you don't, you know, and you don't know, right? You don't... Um, like with you, it, it, it's so bad that a woman that was walking her dog found two of the bodies at the same time in the same park, um, a couple of weeks apart. And and even when you talk to her, she's like, "Well, that's a regular occurrence." And if if you think if you think about that, um, you know, if 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 you have fifty eight bodies in a year and a half in one park. <laughs> Yeah, that's more than one a week. <laughs> I mean, you're 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 pretty busy, um, and uh, so it's it's just you know it's kind of an outrageous thing, you know. And um, but I found the, the 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 most interesting part is is communicating with the killers, uh, because, not that <laughs> I'm turned on by that, but I'm just yeah. mean that you get a lot of insight that you don't get in a lot of other. Uh, mediums, you know what I mean? Well, that's what everybody wants at the end of the day. I mean, that's what they want with Zodiac and the Golden State Killer. You want to hear them tell us why they did it, or at the very least, we want to hear them, you know, explain themselves in some way. And I think it's it's interesting that something like with the, the Golden State Killer, um, his arrest was just the beginning because then this whole other story emerged. You know, this, it's not like it could be like if in the Zodiac case, if they discovered through DNA tomorrow that it was the prime suspect, Arthur Lee Allen, that that'll be a sensational development and everybody will be happy that the case has been solved. But there's not a whole lot more to learn after that. We already know a lot about him. And since he's not around anymore to tell us, you know, we, we pretty much have what we have and that's it. But with the Golden State Killer, you know, he's been connected to so many different crimes now and he's not talking so it's kind of this, you know, game of trying to figure it out without his help. But I think what everybody's hoping for is to get a sit down with the serial killer and say, hey, what was this all about? Why did you do this? You know, what was going on with you? And there's some killers like uh, the BTK strangler, Dennis Rader or, or uh, Gary Ridgway, the Green River killer, who are more than happy to talk about what they did. And then there's people like Joseph D'Angelo, the suspected Golden State killer, who's clammed up and is not going to say a word. And I've been asked a lot of questions about that regarding Zodiac lately, that um, if the Zodiac was captured today, do you think that he would confess like BTK and the Green River killer? Or do you think he would deny it like the Golden State killer? And I don't know. I, I you know, I, I'd love to think that he would be forthcoming and answer all of our questions. But somehow I think that's unlikely, especially given the fact that with the Golden State Killer, you know, one of the reasons he's not talking is because he's suspected of a certain amount of crimes, but it's not going to help him to say, oh, yeah, and I did all these other ones, too. And with the Zodiac, you know, if they are fortunate enough to identify him through DNA or something, that's going to be a very hairy situation trying to connect him to the actual crimes because the letters in the zodiac case are linked to the crimes because in a couple of instances the zodiac sent a piece of a victim's shirt in the mail with a letter and that's a distinct and definitive link between the killings and the writing but that doesn't mean that you know we're going to find out everything there is to know or that all of our questions are going to be answered so you know, I don't think there's anything weird with thinking it's the best part of or, or one of the most important parts of, of what you do, because that's really why we're all here. Right. <laughs> it's because yeah. this person had some problem that uh, they either couldn't control or decided to embrace. And it affected so many other lives. You know, it's like a, a throwing a, a pebble into a pond, all the ripples that come from that. It affects hundreds and thousands of people. And, you know, in a case like uh, the dating game guy, you know, it sounds like we don't even have any idea how many people he may have killed. And the no. grind guy, it's, it's just a, a guess on how many people they found in the park. What did he decide 
what happens if he decided to start putting those people someplace else or, yeah. or something else? Uh, that's yeah. that's oh, and you want to hear, you know what's really a weird coincidence here? Um, when Rodney Alcala got arrested, he was in um, uh, back east somewhere. I can't remember now. And they uh, put him in jail, and then they called Los Angeles police, and they had them come extradite him. So guess guess what officer was flown from L.A. to uh, um, wherever he was back east and extradited him back to L.A. for, for trial? Um, Steve Hodell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I couldn't believe it when I heard that. And then I just, because I, I have his number, I, of course, I got a hold of him and said, hey, what do you remember about this guy? Like, what? Is that too weird or what? That's, you know that six degrees of separation stuff. I mean, the, yeah. the thing is, is that I've been asked a lot of questions about Steve Hodell and his, his uh, claims about his father being the Zodiac. Cause you know, I think that the, the theory that his father was involved in the black Dahlia murder is obviously a, a plausible theory. One that even investigators had considered. So that's not quite as outrageous as the Zodiac stuff is, but I've had people ask me, if this is the kind of evidence that he uses to accuse his father in the Zodiac case, which is virtually none, does that mean that we should go back and start looking at some of the homicide cases that he looked at and some of the people <laughs> in prison? Um, now, in Rodney Alcala's case, I, I think it's probably obvious that he's the right guy. But that oh, does yeah, raise an yeah. interesting question. And it is a an, an odd uh, footnote, trivia footnote, that you know this these some of these people are, are, have their – uh, tentacles spread into other true crime cases too. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing, and and the, one of the lead investigators on the case was that uh, Van Nuys, uh, the, the the guy that was doing the O.J. Simpson. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but it's all a conspiracy. Walk around with a vial of that guy's blood in his pocket all the time. So yeah, it's it's all a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling well, who you. Who knows? Maybe OJ did all of this. Yeah, OJ is the Zodiac. Yeah. There's your book, Al. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm staying away from that one. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Well, that's it's interesting. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure that there's anything new uh, for Zodiac other than it's the 50 years. Is that what it is? The 50th anniversary of the first suspected Zodiac murders happened on December 20th, 2018. And now we're approaching the 50th anniversary of the second Zodiac attack at Blue Rock Springs. And then, of course, the 50th anniversary of the first Zodiac letters in July of 2019. So there's going to be a lot of attention focused on the Zodiac case because of that anniversary. That's the way the media works. Uh, I was telling you earlier that I've been asked to do a lot of podcasts and TV shows and finding it difficult to find time. But then this time next year, there'll be nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless something happens, you know. But are are we really learning anything new from all these shows, like really scary people with Donnie Wahlberg and stuff like that? Are we going to, when we sit down and watch it, is there is there really much new coming out? Well, I can't say for sure because I wasn't present in all of the interviews that they did. But I do know that when I did the interview for that show, um, it was a pretty uh, thorough interview and they were asking a lot of good questions. And I know that some of some producers, like the people who did the Monster podcast, you know, they reached out to people who have not spoken in public before or people who are genuinely uh, tight lipped about things over time. And so I think that while it's unlikely that you're going to learn anything groundbreaking and new from any of these shows, because there's just not that much more to find out, at least that we know of, um, I think most of these things are going to be more entertaining retrospectives. And, um, you know, they might be interesting and entertaining, but I doubt that there's going to be some smoking gun in any of them that's going to change the case or your perception of the case drastically. Um it's, it, you know, it's part of the process. It's, uh, I remember years ago, God, 10 years ago when I did the show Mystery Quest and, um, Ken Narlow, one of the original investigators in the case, he was going through chemotherapy treatment for cancer and 
interrupted his treatment to come out to Lake Berryessa and do the show with us. And I remember thanking him profusely for making the effort and taking the time. And he said, well, you know, one of the reasons I do these things is because I'm hoping that somebody out there is going to be watching this and maybe they have some information that could help the case and this show might prompt them to come forward. So there's always that hope. Although, you know, it's uh, balanced by reality and pragmatism. But I, I think that at, at the very least, the one thing that these recent shows have accomplished is to make people reconsider the public version of the story that's been told for the last 20, 30 years or something um, and make them realize that, you know, if you saw the book and the movie, you you may have seen an entertaining account of the case, but that's one version of the story. It's not the true story. So some of these newer shows have recognized that and try to talk about the case from this other perspective that it is unsolved. And there is a lot more to this story to be told than what you may have heard in the book or the movie. So I have some optimism about that, but I doubt that there's going to be any groundbreaking evidence, although I would certainly be thrilled for that to happen because, you know, I know that there's some people out there who, you know, the cases maybe, for lack of a better term, it's their livelihood and keeping the mystery going and things keeps them keeps them going. But I would be thrilled. I have no dog in this fight. I don't care who the Zodiac turns out to be as long as he's captured. So, you know, if it came out tomorrow that they had some evidence that it was Arthur Lee Allen, I'd be thrilled to hear that because that would mean that the case was over and the case was solved. And as much as uh, I care about this case and as much as I enjoy talking about it with people who are interested, and I know that there's other people out there who like to hear discussions about the case, um, it would be great for this to be solved and none of this to be necessary anymore. Are you still writing that for articles for true crime case files or any of those magazines? Yeah, yeah. I just did a um, an article for true crime case files for their, I believe it was the winter issue. And it was about, it was called um, Ted Bundy Mass Media Murderer. And it was all about how, you know, Ted Bundy is all the rage right now. This is the, I believe, the 30th anniversary of his execution in 1989. Right. And right. this, you know, this new uh, uh, series on Netflix, uh, the Bundy Confessions, I believe. And there's the biopic movie with Zac Efron. And I know HLN did a series and ABC did a series and all this stuff. And Ted Bundy is invading American homes again all over <laughs> through television. And that's what he actually did in the 70s. You know, everybody talks about Ted Bundy being the, you know, handsome, charming, intelligent serial killer. And they don't seem to realize that a lot of that uh, persona that he has is because he was one of the first serial killers in the age of modern media and modern media is what made him into the thing that we think of today um people forget that you know his trial was one of the first trials ever televised um that he was you know he was on television almost every night giving interviews when he was first arrested in in utah and things and and of course um in the television interviews he did later on, especially the last one he did just before he was executed, where he was with uh, James Dobson, the guy from Focus on the Family, and he used that as an opportunity to blame pornography for everything, when in reality, people who are familiar with his case know that for Ted Bundy, pornography was True Detective magazine, the, <laughs> the uh, very magazine that Ann Rule used to write for under the name Andy Stack. Um, that was pornography to Ted Bundy because he liked looking at images of dead women. Um, but the, the idea of Ted Bundy, you know, he, he, the persona that he has in American pop culture is totally based on television and that gets overlooked a lot. So I thought I would write a little bit about that, especially now that, you know, once again, uh, Ted Bundy is being portrayed by someone who's viewed by society as sexy and, and good looking and everything. And, you know, before it was Carrie Elways played him in The Riverman, and then it was, uh, I think, Billy Campbell in the Ann Rule story. Before that, it was Mark Harmon, you know, the sexiest man alive <laughs> for People magazine. 
Um, maybe it's because I'm a man. I, I don't know. I've never looked at Ted Bundy and considered him to be handsome or good looking. He always, to me, he always looked like who he is. You know, he looks yeah. like pervert. Um, but I know that this fascination that people will have with him is largely based on his image as some kind of sex symbol. And that's really disturbing in many ways, especially considering the fact that here we are 30 years later and that hasn't seemed to change much. Yeah, yeah, and we were part of that. We just had uh, Stephen Michaud from the – he was the, the yeah. guy that recorded all the tapes mm-hmm. in the Netflix thing. So we For the uh, Only Living Witness with yeah. Hugh Ainsworth, which is a great book, but it's also a perfect example. And I'm sure that Stephen would agree with this, that it's a perfect example – of how Ted Bundy exploited the media. He, oh, yeah. These guys say, we're writing a book about your case, and we'd like to talk to you. And he says, well, I'll talk to you about it, but only if I can speculate in third person about <laughs> my crimes. You know, And everybody knows that he's talking about himself when, in those interviews. Um, but those interviews are very valuable because most people forget Ted Bundy pretended to be innocent right up until the very end. So the only known recordings of him confessing are from his discussions with um, Dr. Robert Keppel, the guy who investigated the Bundy murders, and with Bill Hagmeyer from the FBI and a few others. And that ridiculous interview he did for television with um, uh, James Dobson. Um, so these these interviews that are on the Netflix show – they're really interesting because you're hearing Ted Bundy talk about himself, but he's just not admitting it. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, O.J. Simpson. Yeah, yeah. I didn't do it, but if I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. A great book by O.J. And that's, you know, Ted Bundy was pulling that thing where you were looking for the real killers thing for quite a long time. Um, but, I, you know, I've always been fascinated by Ted Bundy. When I was a kid, I remember vividly sitting in my living room with my father he was reading a newspaper and I was watching the news and there was an image of the prosecutor in the Bundy case holding up a cast of Ted Bundy's teeth. And behind him was a big blow up of Ted Bundy's teeth. And of course being, you know, I don't know what it was like 10, 10, 11 years old or something like that. I remember asking my father, what do his teeth have to do with anything? And my father looks at the TV and says, you don't need to know about that. Which was the wrong answer for a kid because I went, and this is what's weird. I went to my library at my school. I was in sixth or seventh grade at that time. And they had a book about Ted Bundy at our school. I checked out that book, (laughs) discovered why his teeth were part of the story. And that really changed things for me. And And I've often thought that if my dad had just said he bit somebody, (laughs) that I would have been like, oh, and then that would have been it. I wouldn't have gone and read about it. But that sort of was one of the early interests in true crime that I had developed. And Ted Bundy is, you know, he's like one of the original gangsters of true crime um, from the 70s when we had this explosion with David Berkowitz and, you know, uh, John Casey and all these other people. But Ted Bundy is really the face of the American serial killer. And I think that so much of his story is... Uh, overlooked because people want to focus on this idea that he was a sexy, brilliant criminal, when in reality, he was kind of an idiot. Ted Bundy for president. <laughs> wow. well, we know now that anybody can be elected. <laughs> well, there you go. He's got it. Well, we're coming to the end of the hour already. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's always fun talking. Well, it's uh, nice chatting with you and getting to hear you talk about some of these cases, too. Yeah, and we'll, um, we'll do it again soon. I hope so. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.